0: This episode of Just the Right Book Podcast is sponsored by BarkBox. When you subscribe to a 6- or 12-month plan, you get a free month of BarkBox. Just go to BarkBox.com
1: forward slash book podcast. I'm Roxanne Cody, and welcome to Just the Right Book, a podcast for enthusiastic and engaged readers that will help you discover new books in all genres, give you unique insights into your favorite authors, and bring you up to date with what's happening in the literary world. Last year, R.J. Julia hosted an event for world-renowned chef Jacques Pepin. Jacques is a former columnist for the New York Times, has over two dozen cookbooks, and is also a friend and probably one of the most generously spirited people that I've ever had the pleasure of knowing. He gave some of his best holiday cooking tips to us, plus he even shared some of his own cooking mistakes I wouldn't call them mistakes. In case you missed it, we decided to re-release my conversation with the world's most famous cooking teacher just in time for the holidays. Jacques, thank you for being a guest on Just the Right Book.
0: Thank you for You've probably
1: been in here about 4 million times.
0: In your (laughs) store, yes. I love that store. Who doesn't, anyway.
1: Well, we love having you here. So, Jacques, we've had tons of conversations over the years, but I think I have never asked this question. How did your cooking change when you moved from France to the United States? Or did it change?
0: Well, that's... The change has been going on for, well, 55 years, 56 <laughs> years. That I've been going on. So it's been kind of a very uh, insidious, if you want. Uh, but... Uh, it is an interesting question because uh, for many people I am looked at as maybe the quintessential French chef, and uh, I may, you know, you open my book and you'll see on page 22 find a black bean soup with the banana and the cilantro on top, which is from my wife's background being born from a Puerto Rican mother, Cuban father. Then you'll have a southern fried chicken. Then you love have a New England uh, uh, lobster roll. And then I do a, a Shirazi sushi, you know. So in a <laughs> sense, I kind of consider myself maybe a, the quintessential American chef. Yeah. Because uh, yes, I still uh, use some technique that I used in France and my background is grounded in this. But my cooking has changed so much in a way that it would never have changed if I had stayed in France. I mean, the experience that I had in America and uh, what has happened in America in the last half a century, you know, has been amazing in the food world. So I do have absorbed an enormous amount, and at home, you know, Gloria does, we do Korean food and, and Japanese and Chinese, and of course we had an apartment in Playa del Carmen, so in Mexico for 10 years during the winter. So yes, all of that, but I never really try. I don't think I'm very chauvinistic this way. I never really try to be French, and by the same token, I never really try not to be French. Mm -hmm. I don't really think in those terms. I look at things, I go out for dinner, I cook with friends. I see something interesting. I say, oh, that's great. And regardless of what you ever want to label it, (laughs) that's what I do.
1: Because, you know, Jacques, listening to you makes me think about this question. Um, So in many ways, what you're saying is your cooking has reflected... All of the changes that have gone on in the United States in these over 50 years. Do you, think, do you think chefs in France have found themselves less adaptive to changes, like sort of global changes in their cooking?
0: Sure, absolutely. And uh, there is reason for that. You know, I mean, for many Europeans, you know, they think of, uh, of American cooking as people eating like five-dish dishes hot dog, hamburger, (laughs) (laughs) French French fries, and and canned macaroni or whatever. And uh, this is absolutely wrong, but in some way it is right. Uh, It is what you may call the mall, the mall crowd. And you will see people in mall and throughout the country Eating three, four, five dishes over and over and over again. So, in that context, the the palette of taste is relatively minimal for a European. Conversely, you're in New York, there are 24,000 restaurants in New York. Is that right? Yeah, and the the ethnicity uh, that you are there, from Swahili cooking to Turkish to whatever you want, is unmatched any other place in the world. So, in that context, the palette of taste there is going to be much larger than any European. Mm But for Americans, you know, we're, we're a country of, of uh, ethnic people, uh, different. So uh, depending where you're born, you kind of get attached a little bit to whatever your background is. But uh, there has never been an indigenous, maybe up to now, and even now, American cuisine in a sense, so that everyone eats American. Now, mm. in France, the cooking is good. So, you know, 99% of people eat French food. from the time you're born. The same thing in Italy, the same thing in Spain, the same thing in in Germany, certainly. So you really don't have that much reason to get outside of your uh, spectrum of taste, even though there is many, many restaurants in Paris, uh, Indian, Chinese, or whatever there is. But conversely, most people are going to eat French in France, most people are going to eat Italian in Italian, and Spanish in Spain, much more than what we would do in this country.
1: That really answers it, because what what you're saying is that American cuisine was from the early days not as defined as the cuisine in Italy or Spain Still or now. France. So it becomes it allows it to become more adaptive.
0: Still now, yes. As I said, if I considered myself a quintessential American chef, right. because I do some Chinese, I do this, I do that, do that, I would have never done in France. Now, of course, if you are... And in addition to that, uh, ethnicity is maybe more marked in the U.S. I mean, there is area in the country, Polish area, certainly Jewish area, Italian or or people from from, from the island and all that, which stay attached to their cooking. And their cooking is strong enough for them to stay attached and often... Uh, You know, people define themselves by their cooking in many groups, you know, and uh, uh, the cooking itself of America was not strong enough to prevent that type of thing because there is not that much, which is not the case in Italy or in France or in Spain.
1: Right. And in fact, um, I don't know how many people really know this about you, but you went to work you were offered a job in the White House and instead took a job with the most quintessential American Food company at the time. Tell us about yeah. that.
0: Howard Johnson, yes. Well, in the, in, uh, yeah, in 1960. I mean, I was a further job at the White House for Kennedy, and uh, I was a further job at Howard Johnson. And I worked at the Pavilion at the time, and Howard Johnson, Howard D. Johnson, uh, which is the founder of Howard Johnson, was a patron of the Pavilion. And uh, he asked Pierre to come, Pierre Franet was the executive chef, and, I, and we went to Howard Johnson. I mean, to uh, to validate what I, what I did, you know, people say, how oh, could you go to Howard Johnson not go to the White House? I had been the chef to the president in France, finishing with De Gaulle, and uh, I serve people like Away on the Tito Macmillan. I mean, the head of state at the time. Not ever once would you be called for a kudu in the dining room. Mm. Not ever once would you. Uh, I tell you. Chefs
1: were not celebrities. Uh, absolutely
0: then. not. So you were really limited to the kitchen. Uh, you were like the help. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, no, but it was. So, you know, television barely existed, but even newspaper, magazine, articles who have never been on any of those having been being with presidents in France. So when I was asked to go to the White House, I did really realize the potential in that context, because it didn't really exist in my mind. Mm-hmm. And I was going to school. I was in New York. I was doing other things. Were you getting your
1: master's at Columbia then?
0: Well, I was working toward it, you know, at the time. I went to Columbia for like 12 years. But, uh, oh, by the way, I'm getting a Ph.D. again. Yes! You yes. oh, yeah. <laughs> get a letter from the panel. Anyway, so... Uh, How cool! Uh, yes, well, you know, uh, uh, four years ago, I gave the commencement address at Columbia, and uh, Lee Bollinger, I mean, the president, introduced me and said, we refused Jack papers, doctoral dissertation in 1972. But now... but. Yeah, because, I mean, it was about food. And at that time, they said, food, are you nuts or what?
1: But your, your master's degree was in no, philosophy? No, it was, it, was,
0: it was in, the, yeah, I mean, I did a thesis on Voltaire, so it was yeah. in literature. But, uh, uh, yeah, so food now is much, much bigger, no yeah. comparison. But, uh, and, and that's in the context of what we talked about. You know, the, any good mother would have wanted her child to marry the, a lawyer, a doctor, an architect, certainly not a cook. And then we are genius (laughs) now. I don't know what happened. So so uh, that
1: makes a logical uh, (laughs) question. Is there a specific person that motivated you to become a chef?
0: Well, life was much easier when I was a kid during the war. uh, You know, my father was a cabinet maker. My mother was a cook. She had a little restaurant. Actually, there were 12 restaurants. I can't count in my family through years and 12 of them owned by 12 women. You know, I was the first male to go into that business. So, so much also for, often in the psyche of American people, they think of French chef only as male, which is not the case at all, except the Michelin type of things. But there is only 21 or 22 three-star Michelin. You know, in the in the Michelin Guide, and there is 138,000 restaurants throughout France. So, so you, you know, must have some run by somebody you know, else. Mother, yeah, aunt, and cousin still in France now. So yes, when I was a child, uh, you know, we didn't have television, we didn't have magazine, we didn't have any of this. I didn't know that I could become a great, uh, you know, surgeon in 30 minutes looking at television shows. <laughs> so, so it, either I was going to do what my father did or what my mother did. Mm. You know, it was one or the other. And I loved the kitchen, the, the you know, the excitement, the yelling too. So I went to the kitchen and uh, never. But to be truthful, I never thought at that one that I could be anything else or go to be a doctor, a lawyer. Mm. That was not part of uh, who we were, you know, at the time. So, in a sense, it was a very easy decision for the kid at the time. You do this. It was or that just
1: logical, second. right? Jacques, most of us do not have anywhere near the talent you do. So if if I were a person that wanted to do something for the holidays that was executable by a lowly skilled cook, what would you recommend that someone would make?
0: Well, I would first start telling people, don't wait until the holidays. So I'm going to try that dish when you've never done it before. <laughs> begin to, you know, go with something which is familiar to you, uh, you know, that you know that you can do ahead, that you know you can prepare most of it ahead. Just have a couple of finishing. And often people tell me, but I don't cook at all. What should I do? They, well, you already have a friend who cooks. So next time you go to your friend, you say, can I come an hour ahead? I'll bring a bottle of wine, and can I look at you and cooking learn. and help? You know, and by the time you have one, two, sometimes three glasses of wine, who cares? Who cares? <laughs> so,
1: What's your favorite thing to make for a holiday meal?
0: Well, holiday meal, if you think that you want to stay with your guest and all that, you get into the area of a stew, a large stew, something like that. You know it's even better than ahead. a kind of cassoulet, you know, a bean stew uh, with a roast of pork in it, uh, maybe a duck or whatever. So that type of thing can be done ahead. In fact, it's better when it's done ahead. So you know that you've done that much of it ahead. Mm-hmm. You know that the rest of it you can finish. You know you have your salad to do. You have to plan it, you know, because often the making of a meal, it's really bringing things together at the last moment, you know. Everyone knows how to do those dishes, but to bring them together at the last moment, it gets more complicated. That's why, you know, you look at a recipe and any recipe, including mine, are basically wrong in the sense that what I tell you to do in a recipe on that piece of fish, I say you saute that piece of fish, you do that, cook three minutes, put it on a plate and serve. It's always do it plate it, and serve it. But if you have 30 people to cook, you're not going to do it like that. I've got to do that ahead. So the whole thing changed. You have to cook it halfway, uh, keep it warm there. You have to do other types of things. And often this is what I try to explain when I do a menu. And if you do that menu, you start with that. While this is cooking, start with that. Keep that warm, do this, that too. But Unless you do a menu, when you do a recipe, all you can do is to tell people, this it the way you do that, that mm-hmm. dish. You do it, you put it on a plate, and you serve it. People ask you, but if I do it, I had oh, well, that's a different thing. So that, you know, quantity, all of that will change your cooking. You know, people do a little stew uh, in, a, in a kind of le creuset, cast iron, cocotte, you know, you braise a piece of uh, veal. And uh, you serve it like that or, a, a, you know, a lamb shank or something like that. And you serve it for three, four. You serve it directly on the, on the you know, family style if you want on the thing. Mm-hmm. And it's perfect. Yeah. People say, that was great. So I'm going to do it for 20. They do it for 20. It's a disaster. You have to run the meat ahead. You have to cook that. You have to keep that separate at the end. You add it. Otherwise, because of the quantity, the whole thing changes, you know.
1: Because I find it, I use your cookbooks um, when I cook. That's and a I'm wise not, move. Yeah, a good move, right? <laughs> but what yeah. I find that is helpful, both from you having um, helped me understand it, but from the cookbooks is, I sort of break it down into projects and the way you right. give the recipes, then you can figure it out because, right, it's like organizing the whole thing right. for thinking about everybody's going to sit down. So you can't be like doing this over here and then you forgot to chill the wine or you forgot Absolutely. to uh, do yeah. Yeah. the other things. So mm. I would say everybody should cook only from your cookbooks. What do you think?
0: Wow, this is a pretty <laughs> wise movie you know there is a there is always a, a, a paradox here or an oxymoron if you want in the in the making of a recipe when i make a recipe you know there is that uh, uh, that freedom that I have. You know, I, all you start is with an idea. I mm-hmm. go to the market, I say, see, there are beautiful artichokes too. I have a duck. I say, oh, I'm going to saute this with that. So I can work it out in my head. I can already test it out in my head. So I have that freedom. I can put anything in that dish at that point. There is no limit. But as I put A and B together, I put it in a skillet. Then I form an entity here. I have to to, to react to it. So... If I don't write a recipe, it's fine. But if I write the recipe, I put it in that skillet, let it cook. It cooks three minutes. I say it's brown enough. So I say cook about three minutes. Then yeah. it continues cooking. Then it gets a bit dry. I say add a, you know, a third of a cup of water. Well, you may never need to add a third of a cup of water. I don't know. But I'm reacting to the thing. It's You're getting dry. It. So I'm doing it to react. And I'm writing down what I'm doing along the way. And eventually I have a whole typewritten page that I'm giving you. And this is a total reversal uh, process. I mean, instead of the freedom that I had when I was cooking it, you're totally structured with that recipe. I have to do it this way, that way, that way. And there is no way out of that, you know. And I still say that, uh, you know, anyone... Trying a recipe from any book that you choose should do it according exactly to the recipe. If it's likely to come out, if it come out good, you're likely to do it again. The second time you take a faster look, but the third time you may even not take a look, and by the fourth time, you, quote, improve the recipe. Mm-hmm. You know, you're know, you used to do it by then, and you say, I think I put more tomato in there. I won't put this at the end, too. And a year later, you don't even remember where it comes from. And if people does that with my recipe, then it's gratifying. I mean, this is the process that people should do.
1: For their that, own...
0: That being said, I've been married over 50 years, yeah. and my wife makes... Um, a, a cheesecake that I have in a French chef cooks at home. And has four packages of cream cheese, four eggs, a cup of sugar. <laughs> this it's is why Gloria had, and I are good friends. She that book open in front of her, you know, after 50 years. There is four of these no, se, se, kind of security blankets, you know. She Jacques, had.
1: when I follow your recipes, there's yeah. not one damn thing I would okay. risk changing. Kevin and Edward might. You yes, Might yes. invent a little bit, but not me. So when you when you go to d- when you decide to do a cookbook, right? What's the creative process for you? How do you think about what will go in that cookbook?
0: Well, it depends. It depends. I have thirty book, you know, and uh, many book. Like I did. Uh, well, okay, I have a colony in the New York Times for about ten years called. It was called uh, the, the Purposeful Cook. So it was to cook for a family of six, a minimal amount of money. So I did a book called Cuisine Economique to reflect that particular thing. I did a book with the Cleveland Clinic for cardiac patients, so it was extremely limited to that particular. I did another book called uh, The Shortcut Cook Cookbook. I,
1: that's my favorite.
0: Right. Then I did uh, La Technique or The Art of Cooking, where I went in my pond to catch frogs so I could Show you how to take the skin out of the frog, and to do it, I killed a rabbit. Yes, so (laughs) so you know it depends whether I do it from the beginning too. And then I did two series on television. Maybe the the book who sold maybe the most called Fast Food My Way. Mm. And what I did, I used the supermarket as a prep cook. That is if I'm a professional chef, I have a prep cook coming in the morning, you burn out the chicken, burn out the fish, slice the mushroom, chop the shallot, wash the spinach, everything is ready for me. Nothing is cooked. I get to the stove, someone order a filet of salt, I grab that filet of salt, a bit of shallot, a bit of a mushroom, a dash of wine in it, cook it one, two minutes, put it on a plate, finish it with a bit of butter, that's it. I did that dish in four, five minutes because everything was there for me, fresh. So I use the supermarket this way now, I have a non-stick pan. I have skinless, boneless breasts of chicken, pre washed mushroom, pre slice uh, or pre sliced uh, mushroom, pre washed spinach, whatever, and within five, six, seven minutes in those, recipe the fast food my way and more fast food my way. I did two books like that. I did three to four dishes in twenty well, the, the, the show is 30 minutes, about 20, 20 29 minutes. Sometimes with a package from the supermarket, still there to show you you could do that, do and do it pretty fast and good food, fresh.
1: Those are your best-selling books. Well,
0: uh, for people who cook, uh, it's probably the easiest way to cook with, you know, those, yes.
1: Do you still make mistakes when you're cooking, ever?
0: We all the time, yes. it. Differs.
1: Like, tell me one.
0: Well, the... the <laughs>
1: Or tell
0: me to. Well I went to take a nap, and the chicken really got really good. <laughs> a little cooked. Oven. Right. So, uh, yes, you can do things like this. Uh, yeah, the, the point is that cooking often is art of uh, recovery, you know, or adjustment <laughs> or yeah. compensation. You know, I mean, you, you cook, uh, uh, like I do a jelly roll for Christmas. You do a bûche de Noël, you know, so you do that jelly roll. You cook it three months two minutes, three minutes too much, you start rolling it, you start cracking all over mm-hmm. the place. So I cut it into strip, put the cream in between, built it up, put the stuff around <laughs> and say I like it this way. You, know, I mean, <laughs> you, do something else. you do something else with it. Usually usually you're able to recover to a certain extent, you know, mistake in the kitchen. You are. Most well, normal people well, can. one time, many, many years ago, like 20, 25 years ago, I was doing a tour in the U.S. called... Uh, yeah, it was the early 70s. So uh, it was with a, a magazine uh, and some dancer, and there was a whole group. And we we were in front of people like, uh, I don't know, thousands of people. And we were in... The, in um, in California there, and uh, in front of a group of like maybe 2,000 people. There were dancers, there were all kinds of other people. I appear in the middle of the, the show 35 minutes before to do a cheese souffle. So I did it. It took me about 10, 12 minutes. I put it into the oven and I disappeared for 35 minutes. And the whole people of the show came at the last moment. We opened the oven. We had the she souffle to find. So when I came on stage, you know, the, the, usually the stove was supplied by the utility company. And uh, so I put the stove on, the oven on, it put I said, yeah, it's on, it, everything worked fine. So I came on stage in that particular time, did my cheese soufflé, 12 minutes, put it into the oven, say goodbye, I'll be back in 30 minutes left. Well, the oven went on self-cleaning, which I didn't know, <laughs> like 750 degrees. You've never seen a souffle as burned <laughs> as this one. There was no recovery there. It yeah, was so burned, good. in fact, that the center was still liquid because it didn't even go through. I had a standing ovation. People were so happy.
1: That's so cute. Yeah. So what would be your words of wisdom to somebody who wanted to become a chef?
0: Uh, think about it. <laughs> <laughs> Twice? <laughs> yes, right.
1: We're going to take a moment to talk about our sponsor, BarkBox. Now as somebody with like two dogs, which I can't believe I actually have two dogs, two dogs that like toys and treats because we're training our puppy, Jimmy, getting Bark Box was perfect because it comes and it's got all these different toys and treats. And what I like about it is getting this little box with all this stuff is like perfect because it gives us new ways to keep these two dogs happy. And only for Just the Right Book podcast listeners, BarkBox is giving you a chance to get a free month of BarkBox when you subscribe to a 6- or a 12-month plan. Just go to BarkBox.com slash podcast to subscribe. Now let's get back to my conversation with Jacques Pepin.
0: Yeah, I would say often, you know, kid in school uh, or parents tell me, you know, my kid really loves cooking and so forth too. So I say, well, you know what, during the summer vacation or uh, spring vacation or whenever, try to get him to work in a restaurant, corner cafeteria or whatever. Not as a the chef there, as a the dishwasher mm-hmm. and uh, cleaning, dishwashing, doing all of that type of thing to go through all that process. And if he still has the bug or shield, he still have the bug after one or two summer like that. Then probably he can go Because It's not as uh, as glamorous as people may think. It's it hard is work. Because of television, yeah, it's basically planned hard ten, twelve hours a day. You know, on your work feet and, and relatively not much money. You know, so uh, still, but you have to look. Oh, still, except for you know, if you are Anthony Bourdain or Emeril Lagasse or whatever. Yeah, the big guys. Yeah. So, but otherwise, no, it's still not that much, frankly. You know. Yeah.
1: So what city in the world do you think has the best food?
0: Well, you know, maybe I am, uh, am prejudiced, but I think that it's hard to beat New York. You know, mm. for, I think the diversity of the restaurant and the scope, too, yes, it's pretty exciting. I mean, what's going on especially, I mean, now in Brooklyn, now in Queens. Isn't that
1: crazy?
0: Queens. I don't know if, don't know if you've been to Queens. I used to live in Queens many years ago. You know, when I was with Howard Johnson, I was director of research. It was in Queens Village. So oh, I
1: didn't know that.
0: Two, two years ago or so, there was a, a magazine for each of the boroughs in New York, and the Queens magazine, they have a name. I forget the name. They say we'd like to put you on the, on the cover, come to do a little bit of a sentimental uh, journey with us, where I live in Is Flushing. This recently
1: that you did about this? About two years
0: ago. Yeah. So back in Flushing, where I lived, uh, we actually, that's where Claudine was born, 1967. So uh, the building now, it's only Korean or Vietnamese in that building. It was a new building. And then I went, the, the commissary in Queens Village does not exist anymore. Anyway, we went, all of that. So I went there for a couple of days in Queens. I was amazed at the quality also in Flushing. Really? Out. I haven't ba- been there. Ba- basically, all of Oriental. You find no place like that in Manhattan for Korean, Laotian, Vietnamese, too, and really dirt cheap and really good. Because Queens
1: place. has really become the new melting pot oh, of amazing. New York, it seems. From amazing, friends yeah. I know that have move there. Yeah,
0: very exciting too.
1: So uh, Jacques, the book you're working on now is with your granddaughter. So right. tell me about, she's about nine?
0: No, she's 12.
1: She's 12. Yeah. You've cooked with Claudine, yes. you have cookbooks with Claudine, your right. daughter. But is, what's it like with your granddaughter that's similar to when you did it with Claudine? Is it, is it bringing out a different element to how you think about cooking or?
0: Yeah, family structure, you know, structure Structure in our family certainly revolved around food, around the table. I mean, uh, you know, when we had, when Claudine was small, we did spend an hour, an hour and a half every night sitting around the table to eat, and to talk about what she did during the day was not necessarily pleasant all the time, <laughs> you know, when the kid is in high school, too. But it was part of a, part of our tradition, part of what we do. Otherwise, you really never speak to the kid. Right. So uh, with my grandchild, it's even easier because she's my grandchild. I don't have to, uh, you know, to, to do anything to... Uh,
1: you don't have to raise her.
0: I don't have to raise her or do... So we did stuff... Going back to Essential Paper, which is a show that I did uh, maybe five, six years ago, she was like six, seven, whatever. So we had a good time. And now I cannot act the same way with her on stage. I cannot put chocolate on her lip. You know, I mean, she's like a young lady. But uh, we still have a good time in the kitchen. We talk about uh, things. She's very good in school. Uh, So we cooked last week. We had a good time. So we wanted, you know, we wanted to reflect that to show... What it means to be together, to cook together. I still feel that maybe the kitchen, maybe the most secure place for a child coming from school. You know, mm. I mean, you go there, you have that smell of the kitchen, the noise of the cling of the, uh, you know, the, the 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 equipment and the noise mm-hmm. of your mother's voice or your father. All those smell, all of this. It's a very uh, a very secure place a very good place to be after school which and those kind of uh, feel you know will stay with you the rest of your life so i think it's important
1: and and does she like cooking
0: yes she does she likes a lot of dessert i'm trying to do you know chocolate stuff too with the chocolate balloon or other stuff this weekend or uh, trying to have her do it and uh, sometime uh, correcting her a little bit and uh, no we have a good time
1: You know, Jacques, listening to you makes me think about, you know, so many families now say either because of their kids' schedules or their schedules that they don't have time to cook. And like you, Gloria, and Claudine, Kevin, Edward, and I made sitting down to dinner a very important part of our lives. Absolutely. Even, you know, but for conversation, all that. Not only that, but eating together.
0: I've seen in family where everyone eats together, but one in the dining room, the other one is near television, the other one there, even a sandwich, a Yeah, what's
1: going on. So what advice do you give them to, you know, because on the one hand, You can't invent that they really do have the time. But just thinking about the importance of their doing it, that what advice would you have for a family who says, no, I really don't have time,
0: to cook. Well, it depends. You know, you put your your uh, priority where you put your priority. I mean, if you don't even have time to cook, there is a lot of places where you can buy good food now, even in the supermarket. Right. So At least go buy that food, but set up the and table sit to down. sit down yeah. to eat that food together. That's a start, you know. And eventually, you do a little bit of that. You add a salad to it that you do, or you add some fruit that you peel and add in dessert. You know, add a little bit to this. Work with the kid. I mean, when Claudine was a year and a half old, I was only here in my arm and she was stirring the path. So she, quote, made it because she stirred the path. So she was going to be willing to test it or two because she made it, you know. say I made it with that, you know, or whatever. So the same thing with the kid, you know, you get to get them involved in doing it. You mm. know, I mean, sitting next to you, I say test it. What do you think? Does it need salt in it? You think you should, what would you add to it? I ask your opinion, you know the kid kids are very straightforward, I tell you that's disgusting, yeah that's really good,
1: because you know, I think Edward, our son, who loves to cook, loves to cook and is a pretty pretty good cook, a very messy, very messy, he like picks the wrong size pot and then puts that down and starts another pot, but Can he, make him
0: wash it after that yeah
1: well, we're working on that, but he was inspired, Jacques, by you. When, he, when we were at your house or he heard you talk about cooking, he absolutely would trace his enthusiasm in cooking or in learning about agriculture to you.
0: Sure. But you have to show a young man how we can seduce a young woman <laughs> cooking. Then That's have, maybe you, what convinced you, him. Exactly. <laughs> and you have to do the same thing with a young girl. Uh, you know, show her how she can seduce the man of her life by mm. you know, like cooking something. for her. So all of a sudden, there is something really personal. Uh, really good. Yes.
1: So Jacques, at one point, um, I had had a conversation with uh, you and Julia Child, who you did. Oh yeah. All those shows, yeah. and one of the things that we talked about that was so striking to me you and Julia were responding to the question about who's your favorite person to uh, serve a meal to. And your answer then, I imagine it's the same, but I'll be interested in hearing. Julia mentioned a couple of people that were big names, but your comment was uh, that it was family and friends because you consider cooking an act of love.
0: Oh, absolutely. You know, you give you give of yourself a great deal when you cook. So, you know, I don't want to, I mean, remember you did that book called, uh, the book would change my life, which right. you asked me very kindly to be part of it, which I did. And uh, I wrote a, an essay on Camus. So it would be on Camus, but I wouldn't cook for Camus. I don't know his taste in food. I would really right. cook for my mother, or for a child or my father or someone who is gone, which I love and uh, which is very important to me or my wife, certainly, you know, that's more important mm. to me.
1: So, Jacques, in closing, I'd like, to, I'd like to thank you on a couple of fronts. One is I'd like to thank you because I think with your 28 cookbooks, you have introduced to millions and millions of people oh, well. the opportunity to think that they, too, can cook great meals and serve their families. And you make it seem like it's easy and it's something that any of us can do. And the other thing I'd really love to thank you about as a person here in this community, as a person in Connecticut, as a person of the world, I don't think I know a more generously spirited person than... I don't know Well, (laughs) I do. Thank you. (laughs) In this case, I know better than you do. Okay. Um, And I want to thank you for doing that, and I want to thank you for taking the time for joining us on Just the Right Book.
0: Thank you. Thank you for having me anytime.
1: All right, darling. Thank you. Thanks again to Jacques Pepin, and for a complete list of all of Jacques' cookbooks, just go to bookpodcast.com. I especially want to make sure you pay attention to Jacques' new book, which is They're all wonderful, and this one is wonderful in a new way. It's called A Grandfather's Lesson in the Kitchen with Shori, and it's a perfect book if you want to start cooking with a young child or a grandchild or you just want nice, straightforward recipes to cook on your own. So thank you, Jacques. Thanks for all your cookbooks, and happy cooking to everybody. Just the Right Book podcast is produced by Collisions, the podcast division of CRN International. Our original music was created by Mark Berman. Many thanks to our producer, Christina Torres, and our sound engineer, Pat Keo. Thank you all so much for listening.